welcome to the Mailer Campbell podcast. This is our collection of topical interviews and monologues by experts and senior members of the Mailer Campbell community. I'm Debbie Aurelius. This podcast will feature Anna Phillips. Anna has been at the heart of Mailer Campbell for almost 15 years. She's a leadership coach, a resilience practitioner and a certified mindfulness teacher. When Anna works with clients, her aim is to help them sustain their peak performance while achieving a greater sense of balance and well-being in their lives. I'm Anna Phillips and today I'm shining a spotlight on our ability to focus. Technology has transformed our lives, hasn't it? It's never been easier to access information and connect with people, and yet the sheer volume of information that we now have at our fingertips means that it's become increasingly difficult to know what to focus on, let alone to work productively. I think focus is the critical skill for the 21st century workplace. Global email traffic has topped 200 billion daily, and it's reckoned that we check our emails as much as 50 times a day, and instant messaging even more. I've seen one study that found professionals were spending an average of 20 hours outside the workplace checking and responding to email and messages. Just stop and think about that. It's a part-time job on top of a full-time role. So there's a problem here somewhere. How do we find time to actually do the work when we are bombarded by all these demands for our attention? And how do we do it without working ever longer hours? There's a lot of discussion currently about technological advances that will automate much of the workplace. When that happens, much of our current work might no longer exist. But what that will leave us with is the real added value activities, the work that is complex and hard to replicate. To do this kind of work well, we have to be truly focused and free of distractions. So being able to focus is not only essential for our work today, but I would argue it is also a future-proofing skill. podcast we will explore what focus is, why it matters and what helps us to achieve it. I'll outline the three essential elements that I think enable us to achieve greater focus and four simple strategies that we can deploy as professional coaches to help develop our focus within our coaching practice. I'll also share some thoughts on helping our clients to develop their focus too. So what do we mean by focus? Well, for me, focus means two different but interconnected things, clarity and attention. What gives us clarity is having a sense of purpose. And this could be as all-encompassing as our life or career purpose, or it could be much narrower in scope, perhaps being really clear about our intention with a particular project. Clarity provides an inner compass to navigate all the potential demands for our attention. Knowing what we really want and what really matters to us helps us to decide what's truly important to work on, as opposed to simply working on the next immediate thing to grab our attention. And in turn, this helps us figure out what we'll say yes to, and more importantly, what we'll say no to. Clarity of purpose gives us a means to measure our progress, ensure we're on track, to determine whether the work we're actually doing on a daily basis is aligned with our intended focus and is contributing to the results we're looking to achieve. So that's clarity. The other aspect of focus is attention. 
This is about our ability to work with sustained concentration, essential if we're going to get those important tasks done. I think attention is the potential time saver and it creates the conditions for us to deliver our highest quality work. Being really attentive also helps us to be truly present and that makes a big difference. When we're fully present, we open up to a wider range of information than we might otherwise have had. We have greater engagement with our work or with the people we're with and that makes for a richer and more rewarding experience. So clarity and attention sound simple and relatively easy to achieve. What makes them such a challenge? Numerous factors in truth, but two that I see as most prevalent are propensity for multitasking and our use of smartphones. It's almost a badge of honour to be seen to be busy and to be working on multiple things at once. And yet we know all the evidence shows that multitasking is not the best way to be productive. Things actually take longer to complete. And the quality is compromised when we engage in that rapid cognitive switching, which is what multitasking is. When we switch from working on one project to another, it takes the brain a while to catch up. So there's an attention residue that gets carried over from one task to another. Part of our mind is still focused on the previous activity, which makes it really difficult to focus fully on the task in hand. This is one of the reasons why many experts recommend we schedule things like checking and responding to email in batches rather than turning our attention to them every few minutes when our notifications alert us to the latest incoming mail. The second challenge we face is our use, or perhaps I should say our misuse, of smartphones. This wonderful technology has enabled us to work in much more flexible ways, but most of us haven't put boundaries around our use of these gadgets. It seems they can be somewhat addictive when used unchecked. How many of us have an email-free weekend or evening? We've made ourselves always connected and always available. Smartphones are amongst the most distracting yet compelling devices we have, and this really affects our ability to concentrate for any length of time. Some experts have suggested that just having our phone within our line of sight can draw our attention away from whatever it is we're working on, even if our phones are not actually turned on. Our brains are hardwired to scan for the novel and the new. And so every time there's an alert to say a new message has arrived, we can feel compelled to go and look in case it's important. And this creates a sense of reactivity rather than responsiveness. The immediacy of messaging fuels a false sense of urgency. And it taps into our fear of missing out. Think of the FOMO hashtag. All this makes it so easy for us to spend our time simply responding to what is immediately in front of us. And it makes it much more difficult to focus our attention for any length of time on what really matters. It really is time to rethink our relationship with our phones. So how can we set ourselves up for success and improve our ability to focus? I think there are three essential elements. Firstly, to be more proactive and conscious with our use of time. Secondly, to create the right conditions to do focused work. And thirdly, to develop and hone our attention muscle. What do I mean by being more proactive and conscious about how we use our time? The first thing we can do is to separate the important from the urgent. It was former US President Eisenhower who said that what is urgent is seldom important, and what is important is seldom urgent. 
So we need to pause long enough to reflect on where we really add value. It's back to that clarity and sense of purpose. If I do one thing today towards achieving my overall objectives, what should it be? What one thing should I complete this week? And then schedule time in our diaries to focus on our priorities first and allow other things to fit in around them. Some productivity experts recommend carving out the first 60 to 90 minutes of our working day to focus on these priorities before we get drawn into dealing with everyone else's demands on our time. Learning to say no is also important in being proactive and more conscious of how we allocate our time. We can't do everything. So what are we going to say no to in order to free up time to work on those things that are truly important and add most value? For me, no is the new yes. The other thing we need to be very proactive about is building in planning time and downtime. Planning time is essential because it enables us to reconnect with that sense of purpose, make sure we're still on track and put contingencies in place if not. It doesn't have to be a lengthy process, a few minutes on a daily basis and maybe one 20 to 30 minute slot once a week for a bit of reflection, strategic thinking, planning for the week ahead. Again, it's important to timetable these planning sessions or it's all too easy to get busy with other things and they fall by the wayside. And then there's downtime. Downtime is vital for two reasons. One, thinking is a physical activity. The brain uses more energy than any other part of our body. So if we're not resting it and giving ourselves the chance to restore that energy, then fatigue becomes a risk. And we all know that our ability to concentrate and make good decisions is compromised when we're tired. It's also important to have downtime because our brains switch gear and we enter a different state of thinking when we're relaxed and away from a situation, not consciously thinking about it. And that's why those creative insights or a solution to a tricky work problem will pop in our mind when we're out for a run or taking a shower. So downtime is important to allow our brains to synthesise information, make connections, mull things at the unconscious level. If our evenings and weekends are spent checking email and staying connected to work, we're not giving ourselves the chance to access this valuable type of thinking and we aren't replenishing our energy. I love how Cal Newport frames this in his book Deep Work. A shutdown habit is not necessarily reducing the amount of time we work, but diversifying the type of work we do. So the idea of being proactive and conscious with our use of time is that we plan in the elements that matter to us first before we respond to the needs and requests of others. To do that, we need to separate the important from the urgent and schedule time for them, say no more often, build in planning time and downtime and safeguard those. The second of our three essential elements is to create the conditions for focus to set ourselves up to be able to work in a very focused way for those activities where concentration is essential. To do that, we may need to prepare ourselves, prepare others, and prepare our surroundings. Ask yourself, what do I need to do to operate at my best and work in a way that is distraction-free? If you've been sat at your desk for a while or in back-to-back meetings, maybe you need to get up and stretch for a moment or take a walk around the block. Grab some water or a coffee before settling down again to concentrate and work intensely. Do you need to make a few notes so you can get thoughts out of your head and set them aside so you can turn your full attention to what you want to focus on next? 
there's something powerful about creating a habit or ritual around preparing ourselves to signal that transition to a focused state. What would work for you? Think about what you might need to say or agree with others so they know not to interrupt you for a period of time and what to do instead. Perhaps what decisions they're authorised to take and who else they should consult. Do you need an autoresponder message or a phone divert in place? We tend to do these things when we're out of the office, but why not for a short period each day too? And think about your surroundings. Where can you work at your best? Do you need to book a separate meeting room or work from home to get this one particular piece of work done? Have you turned off your phone and email so your surroundings are as conducive as possible for you to work in a really focused way? So creating the conditions for focused work means devoting attention to preparing yourself, preparing others and preparing your surroundings. The third essential element is developing and honing our attention muscle. In the scattered nature and busyness of our working day, we've lost the art of focusing our attention fully for any length of time. And this is where mindfulness and purposeful pauses can really help us to develop that attention muscle. Mindfulness is a mental skill that anyone can learn. We're simply bringing our full attention to our present moment experience in a particular way, by being purposeful and without getting caught up in thoughts about what we're experiencing. To practice mindfulness, we select a point of focus for our attention. We maintain that focus for a period of time. And we notice when our mind has wandered off, which it inevitably does, and we gently bring it back to that selected focus. It is this noticing and refocusing that provides a mental push-up for the brain and hones the attention muscle. Mindfulness of breathing is perhaps the most common point of focus in formal mindfulness training. And there's now a considerable body of evidence to show that if we practice mindfulness regularly, we can improve our selective attention and reduce mind wandering. Research has shown that in as little as 10 minutes of mindfulness meditation practice a day for eight weeks, we will start to see structural changes in our brains. There are numerous courses you can take to learn mindfulness, and there are also numerous apps that can help develop that practice. Headspace and Mindfulness for Fidgety Skeptics are two that come to mind. And if formal mindfulness practice is not your thing, consider a purposeful pause. Creating space, however briefly in your day, to take a moment when you consciously choose to pay full attention to what you're doing. So maybe you're in a meeting or on a conference call and you realise that you can barely recall what people have been saying because your mind has moved on to thinking about other things. So just stopping, acknowledging that and re-engaging, listening fully again. That's a purposeful pause. And you can practice that in all kinds of settings. Brushing your teeth in the morning, bring full attention to what you're doing rather than being on autopilot and letting your mind wander to the day ahead. Showering, driving the car, walking from the car or the station uh, to your office, the first coffee of the day, really savouring that. It's a great experience, but it's also at the same time developing your ability to focus. All opportunities to build a purposeful pause into your day. So developing and honing our attention muscle is about finding ways to be intentional and purposeful about our focus. Notice when our attention wanders and bring it back. So those three elements, being proactive and conscious with our use of time, 
creating the conditions for focused work and honing our attention muscle are for me the essential foundations if we want to be more focused at work. But let's turn our attention now to our professional practice as coaches. Where might we bring focus to that setting? Here are four simple strategies we can use. Firstly, thinking again about focus as clarity. Be really clear about why you coach, who you coach, and on what topics. Where do you add most value? And review this regularly. Our views and our minds change on this over time and with experience. These days I say no to far more coaching assignments than I say yes to because I'm really clear about my criteria for coaching and who I will connect best with, where I add most value, help my clients make a difference and for our coaching to be a rewarding experience for us both. I think particularly in the early days of coaching we can fall into the trap of saying yes to any potential assignment because we're grateful for the practice but I would encourage all coaches, inexperienced and seasoned, to be clear about what you enjoy most and where your strengths lie, and focus your coaching accordingly. The second strategy is to prepare yourself for your coaching meeting, and not just prepare for the client. So as you're heading towards your next coaching session, what can you do to put the rest of your day behind you? Shrug off any travel hassles, update your to-do list to get things out of your head, and free up mental bandwidth so you can perform at your best. Maybe think about taking a few deep breaths. Breath control is a really effective tool for managing our physiology. And if you exhale for longer than you inhale, it lessens our mental and physical arousal and leaves us in a calmer, more focused state. And so just taking a few moments to do that ahead of meeting our client can put us in a more resourceful state and role model for them some of that calm yet alert awareness, that quality we can bring to the thinking space we're going to be creating with them. A third strategy is to call our client to mind, attune ourselves to them in those few minutes while we're waiting in the lobby of their office building. So rather than checking our emails or newsfeed, we can ask ourselves, how do I want to be with this client today? And reflect on that, really tune in to yourself and your client and get yourself in a focused space. And the final strategy is to consider your own objective for the coaching meeting. What will you focus on to deepen your coaching skill set and deepen your coaching practice? What is there to be curious about today? What will you discover that is new in your coaching that keeps it fresh? So I'd encourage you to think about those four strategies. Be clear about who is your ideal client, where you add most value, and focus your practice on building that ideal client base. Prepare yourself ahead of each coaching meeting so you're in a resourceful state and really able to bring focused attention to the session. Use those few moments immediately before you meet to attune yourself to your client. And think about your objective for deepening your coaching practice. Or perhaps pose yourself the question, how can I bring something fresh to my coaching today? Four simple strategies that help us to maintain focus and enrich our coaching practice. clients, how can we help them develop their focus? 
they're often running from meeting to meeting without a break and that's not conducive to a high quality thinking session with us. I'm sure we've all asked clients whether they need to take a couple of minutes to close out on other matters. We've encouraged them to write things down or send a message, do whatever's necessary to put that aside. I might also ask how much mental bandwidth they have for our meeting today and what they can do to increase that bandwidth so they'll get most value from it. I've used numerous mechanisms to help clients move beyond that attention residue of their prior engagement and bring themselves fully into our conversation. A focus on the breath, perhaps taking a couple of deeper breaths and checking in with our body to notice points of tension. Expanding our awareness to noticing the sights and sounds in the room. And then sitting in silence for a couple of minutes to reflect on what would be of most value to them in today's conversation. All of these tactics can help bring about greater focus. There are some obvious transition points where coaching for clarity makes sense with our clients and we can help them define their purpose, develop a clear inner compass. When they're preparing to start a new project, a new role, they've been promoted, moved organisations, are returning to work after a break, or maybe they simply want to take stock as part of an annual review of their performance and progress. Here we tend to ask questions that help clients articulate their core purpose and how that informs what they've done to date and what they plan to do. But I think we can add real value here by stress testing whether they bring that sense of purpose into reality. To what extent are they living it? So we might ask questions here that explore where they place their energy and time and is that congruent with what they say matters most to them? What are the points of disconnect? Where are they out of alignment? What do they allow to get in the way and how are they justifying that? What are the short and long-term consequences for them? What might they do more of, less of or differently to become more closely aligned with their core intention? And is their sense of purpose still fit for purpose or does it need to evolve? There are also lots of opportunities to support our clients to develop greater attention and bring improved focus to their daily round so that they'll be more productive and purposeful without extending their working day. So what kinds of situations might prompt this? Well, often our clients will want to discuss work-life balance with us, or they express a desire to find ways of leaving the office earlier, carving out more family time or some time for themselves. Or they might say that they're struggling to balance the daily to-do list with other activities they deem important but never quite seem to find enough time for. Activities like strategic planning, business development, team development, regular one-to-ones with their team. And this is where we as coaches can help them to explore not just the ways of achieving those goals, but how best to set themselves up for success. Using the three essential elements as a guide, we can ask our clients, how proactive are they in the management of their time? What is their ideal time allocation to be successful in their role? And how closely does their reality match that ideal? What assumptions are they making about their time allocation? And how well does that serve them? Do they tend to be responsive or reactive? And what will help them shift the balance? What do they attend to first in their day? And is that best use of their time? 
How do they decide what gets done and what gets left? What criteria could they use? When should they say no and to what? Creating the conditions for focus, what enables them to work distraction free? When is it appropriate to do that and how many hours of their day ought to be distraction free? What can they do to help get themselves into that zone? Who else needs to know or who can support them in that intention? Where will they work when they want to be distraction free? When? What rituals might they want to create? What will it take to make this a regular habit? And what boundaries do they want to put in place around their use of technology, both during working hours and out of the office? Often clients will say to us that they have to be available for their clients or they really need to be responsive for their colleagues. And I think here we can usefully challenge and test those assumptions. What are they assuming about availability and responsiveness? Are those assumptions accurate? What message does it send if we are always available and respond immediately? And is that the perception we want to create? What boundaries are reasonable to put around our personal time? And how can they be responsive and protect family and downtime too? Flexing their attention muscle. How easy is it for them to focus solely on the task in hand and how readily do they get caught up in other thoughts? What takes their attention away from their intended focus? What helps bring it back? What will help them to stay on task? What do they need to do in advance of a conversation or meeting to allow themselves to be fully engaged and fully present? What will serve as a useful reminder when they're at their desk or in a meeting on the phone? How well do they listen and what can they do to improve? These type of questions bring focus to the fore and help our clients to develop greater skill. Management expert Peter Drucker said, Efficiency is doing things right. Effectiveness is doing the right thing. In today's fast-paced and complex world, knowing what the right thing is may not always be obvious. And making time to pause, reflect, to plan, that's all too often a rare luxury. And yet these activities are vital if we're going to be truly purposeful and productive. Anything we can do to develop those qualities in our own lives and help our clients do the same will be of value. And I would argue that focus lies at the heart of this skilled approach. Our ability to find clarity amongst the confusion and laser-like attention amongst continual distraction is what leads to success. And it enables us to be truly productive without continually extending our working day and compromising our personal time and well-being. What one thing would make a difference to your ability to focus? And what will you do now? I've thoroughly enjoyed sharing my thoughts on this topic. I hope you've gained some useful insights in the process. If you're a member of the Mailer Campbell community, I've put together a resource list with some TED Talks, apps, articles, books you might like to explore. I leave you with a final thought from Mihai Chitsen Mihai the psychologist and architect of flow, who said, it is how we choose what we do and how we approach it that will determine whether the sum of our days adds up to a formless blur 
or to something resembling a work of art. Who wouldn't want the sum of their days to resemble a work of art? Here's to developing a greater focus, so we paint a rich and vivid canvas in our lives. Thank you so much Anna for sharing all that valuable advice. If you'd like to find out more about Focus, the show notes from this podcast, along with the list of all the resources Anna mentioned, will be available in the members area of the Mailer Campbell website. Thank you for listening. <laughs>